0: Thank you for downloading this podcast from Guy Baptist Church. You can find out more about our church at our website, guymerbaptist.org.au. May God speak to you as you listen. Tonight's Bible reading is Matthew 12, 15 to 21. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him, and this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant who I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he has brought justice through to victory." In his name, the nations will put their hope. Thanks, Jess. Um, we'll just kind of keep an eye on how hot it gets. I'm guessing, given that it's still like nine million degrees outside, that it'll get warm pretty quick and we'll turn, we'll turn the Arctic temperatures back on uh, in a moment. Just uh, one last thing to let you know about. Some of you may have seen this on Facebook. There's an opportunity, though, to, uh, to participate in our Buy a Solar Panel appeal. Uh, last year at our church meeting, we decided to put uh, about 100 solar panels on the roof at a cost of about $30,000, and we we're just gonna redraw that off of our building loan, and then as we make savings in our, sol- in our electricity payments, pay that back. Uh, but a bunch of people at the church meeting basically said, well, if we're really passionate about the environment, can we just buy a solar panel over and above our regular giving? And our treasurer went, Yes, you can do that. Uh, So if you would like to contribute to that, the solar panels are about $300 a pop if you kind of break it all down. Uh, If you'd like to contribute uh, and buy a panel or buy a bunch of panels or buy part of a panel or just contribute in some way, you can do so. You can go onto our website and there's a link there and it'll be in the e-news as well this week. So that strikes you as something that you'd like to do over and above your regular giving to the church, uh, but also uh, then you can do that. And if you do so, just make sure that we know that it's for the solar panels. Don't just kind of drop an extra... 20 bucks or 50 bucks in the in the bag and expect us to know that it's for the solar panels put it in an envelope with solar panels on it or something so we can account for it I uh, just want to let you know that that was uh, that that is taking place and we'll let you know that over the next few weeks um, when, when I first arrived in Australia, uh, 20-something years ago, uh, and Nicole and I were waiting for our stuff to arrive, I wasn't doing anything. I was just kind of sitting around at home. So I was reading books and uh, kind of catching up on some reading that I hadn't done. And then when I wasn't doing that, I was looking for something to watch on television. This was the time there were only five like, free-to-air channels. That was all there was. And so when the cricket came up, even though I had never seen a game of cricket before, I thought, hey, sport is sport is sport. So great, fine, let's watch cricket. Uh, And and I have to say, I was utterly confused by the game, Uh, mostly because every time they'd go to the ads, they'd come back, and it might be the same guy batting, or it might be a different bloke batting, and inevitably, it'd be some new bowler, and I I just couldn't figure out what was going on. Until that weekend, when I sat down with my father-in-law and asked him to explain the game to me, and he told me that after every over, they switch ends. Ah... That was helpful uh, because the camera angle, even though it looks exactly the same, was actually coming from the other direction. And this unlocked the whole game of cricket for me. And all of a sudden, I can make sense of why the, the batting kept changing and the bowlers were changing and all of those sorts of things. Have you ever had one of those sorts of experiences? You just need someone with a little more experience, a little more knowledge, to just kind of help you figure something out. Uh, whether it's a new job or a new course that you're involved in or a new sport that you've never seen before. Uh, and Matthew, to some degree, does that every so often in his gospel. He kind of gives us these little hints, these little clues, these reflections of someone who had followed Jesus for a long time, had spent a lot of time reflecting on, on his, the significance of his life, death, and resurrection, and then kind of throws in these little kind of clues for us. One of them is, is actually these, this was done to fulfill. He occasionally throws to an Old Testament text and says Jesus has fulfilled that in some kind of a way. And that's meant to help us think about Jesus in a particular way. And the passage that we're looking at tonight has this kind of explanation to it. And I'd like to kind of go through that briefly. However, at the same time, I felt, whether it was, uh, I just feel moved, that it might be appropriate time, this point in our series. I'm not sure we're halfway, but we're getting close to also kind of open up the opportunity to you, if you have some burning questions about Jesus, uh, this might be the night to ask them. Now, uh, we can have a roving mic uh, afterwards, so what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to work through this passage, and then I'm just going to give you an opportunity to respond. But if you would like to, between now and then, you can text uh, Mark Coleman uh, on 0426-525-007. Um, How appropriate is that for an Englishman, right? Um, So 0426525, I put it on the screen, but I can't, uh, 007, right? And I'll mention that again a little bit later on, so if you've got some Some questions that this series has raised for you. Maybe, you know, I know some of you take notes, and you've been taking notes, and you've had a few questions that keep popping up. Why don't you text those to Mark, and then at the end of the message, I'm just going to, we'll take, I don't know, five, ten minutes, and just kind of take some questions, whether they're texted through the Mark, or whether they're just kind of off the floor, and just kind of take some time to explore Jesus just a little bit more than we might normally have the opportunity to do so. So let me again, here's the number, 0426-525-007. So shaken, not stirred, or something like that. So, And I'll mention it again a little bit later on. But let me me turn to this passage, though, because Matthew, again, wants to inform us about something uh, that Jesus is doing that uh, bears some additional reflection. Uh, And from time to time, as I said, he uses these, these fulfillment formulas, right, where he says, this was done in order to fulfill, and then he kind of throws back to an Old Testament text. I have to say that if you have your Bibles open before you, that the headings, which Matthew did not include, are usually helpful, but sometimes not so much. And this is one of those not-so-much kind of moments. Because here's what we're told, as you just heard read. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from the place. A large crowd followed Him. He healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about Him. That's all we're told. And then this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And it seems to me that, that, uh, that Matthew has more in mind than just those two summary verses. There's more to this fulfillment than Jesus withdrawing from a particular area uh, and healing a bunch of people and telling them, don't, don't tell anyone. All right? There's more going on here. And I'd just like to re- kind of tell, point out a few things that this reminds us of in order to understand a little bit more about Jesus. One of them, and the, perhaps the most significant, is actually the reminder that Jesus represents more than just himself. Jesus represents more than just himself and more than just his family. He actually represents, in a very significant way, the entire people of God. Uh, the opening of that passage in Isaiah that is quoted by Matthew, here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. If you've been only reading through the Gospel of Matthew, it might actually sound a little bit like the uh, passage in chapter 3 when Jesus is baptized. And when Jesus comes up out of the water, the Spirit descends on him, and a voice says, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. And then immediately following that, Jesus goes into the wilderness, and he repeats in lots of ways the exact kind of trials that the people of Israel had experienced, except where they failed, he succeeds. You might remember we looked at that a number of weeks ago. Uh, Jesus here represents for us the people of God, and so what he is doing is not just one individual doing something interesting or even doing something profound. It's actually doing something somehow on our behalf, and that's one of the things that Matthew wants to draw our attention to. If we took the time to look in Isaiah chapter 42, and we'll have a look in a moment, Isaiah 42 talks about this servant of the Lord. Uh, and that servant figure is actually relatively new in Matthew's, in, in Isaiah's account. In Isaiah chapter 41, uh, verse 8 and 9, we have our first introduction to the servant, and the servant there is actually the entire nation of Israel. So, so Matthew here is kind of highlighting for us once again that Jesus is not just a really interesting individual. He's not just a great teacher. He's not just someone who's healing. He's actually this representative of the plans and purposes of God. And then when you actually turn to the quotation itself, it's actually a fairly remarkable role that the servant is given, right? Here's here's the task, right? Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations, That's the task that Jesus has been given. And I'm not sure if you've ever thought about it, but can you imagine actually bringing justice to the nations? Can you imagine what that would look like? I mean, most circumstances internationally are pretty complex, aren't they? Can you imagine going into, like, the Syrian conflict right now and trying to bring justice? Can you imagine unpicking that knot? And and kind of being able to to kind of complete it in such a way that everyone on earth went, wow, justice has been served. Like, can you imagine how complicated that would be? Well, here, the task given to the servants of the Lord, represented by Israel in the Old Testament and here by Jesus, is to bring justice. And then out of this, we have this remarkable strategy for how he is going to do that. So, you know, if you thought about how you'd bring justice to the nations... I'd think about you know political uh, channels and significant networks and uh, some sort of grassroots movement or something like that. Here's how Jesus is going to do it. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. That's a weird strategy, isn't it? I'm going to bring justice to the nations, but nobody's going to know about it. It's a secret. I'm not going to quarrel, I'm not going to cry out, people aren't going to hear me yelling in the streets about it and banging on about it, and I'm not going to actually um, crush anyone who is already in danger of being crushed. Did you notice the images? Right, this bruised reed and a smoldering wick. Those are pretty interesting images. I don't know how much you know about, you know, agriculture or or horticultural, I don't know much because I just got it wrong, right? But, you know, a branch on a tree, if it's cracked, and as long as the crack isn't too severe, it can actually heal over time right? Uh, uh, if you find an ember in the, kind of the ashes of a fire and you've got some kindling with you, you could actually kind of, you know, blow on it a little bit and get it to, to light up again. When, you, when the fibers of a reed have been been crushed, there's no turning back. Like that thing is like half an inch from falling over and snapping. A smoldering wick, you know, a candle, you've blown it out and, the, and it, there's just a little bit of orange bit in the tip. If you try to blow on that to kind of reignite it, you're just gonna blow it out. And Jesus essentially says, my strategy here, the strategy that I'm going to take, is not to deal with the powerful, the influential, and the wealthy, who on the one hand could affect change and who on the other hand are probably part of the problem. He says, I'm actually going to do this by serving those who are already poor and sick and on the edge of collapse. Those, in other words, who most need justice. And here's where we often get caught up. Because I think Jesus' ministry, I don't know if you've ever thought too much about this, but Jesus' ministry is often struck, strikes me as just kind of random. We know that Jesus came for a purpose, but the, the three years that He was on earth, it seems like He's just kind of doing whatever everyone around Him wants Him to do. Hey, Jesus, can you heal my daughter? Yeah, sure. And off he goes. And then someone touches him and says, hey, you want to go over there? He goes, yeah, that'll be fine. And off he goes. He just seems to be kind of driven by the needs of the people. And it's almost as if Jesus is content being, and I use this word lightly, only an itinerant preacher and healer. Now, this passage starts with um, aware of this. And what he was aware of is that the Pharisees wanted to kill him. And the reason that they wanted to kill him was because of the previous story where he had gone to the synagogue on the Sabbath when you were to do no work and there was a man with a shriveled hand. And the Pharisees say to Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus basically goes, yes, it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath because it's always lawful to do good. Asks the man to stretch out his hand and it's healed. And the Pharisees, angered by his interpretation of the law and at his kind of flouting, their regulations want to kill him. And Jesus doesn't take them on, he actually withdraws. It's almost as if Jesus was just wanting to be some kind of healer and teacher, and that was kind of it. That's all he really wanted. And in fact, there is a kind of a view of history that Jesus was just some teacher, and then his followers kind of took it and kind of blew it all up and made it much, much bigger and became this kind of worldwide movement. But Jesus, from the very get-go, has a much bigger task in mind, doesn't he? He's actually got this kind of universal approach very, very early in his ministry. Remember the story, uh, the kind of the, the birth narratives of Jesus in Matthew's account? The three wise men, as we often talk about at Christmas, we don't know whether they're actually three or the, the magi who show up. They show up because they have heard that there was a king of the Jews born, and they've come to worship. A hint right at the beginning of this kind of universal call of Jesus. And we need to keep in mind that Jesus is, is as often, shall we say, kind of reminding his followers that his ministry is not just about something little, but something really big. Uh, So the nations are actually referred to both in uh, chapter 11 and again in chapter 12. Jesus refers to the nations of Tyre and Sidon, to the city of Sodom. Uh, He refers to uh, the men and uh, and the people of Nineveh uh, in Assyria, and he talks about the queen of Sheba who came to visit Solomon. And he basically says that all of those nations, Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom, he says, they will stand up and condemn the people of the towns of Judea, because if the miracles that I have performed were done in those cities, they would have repented, but you did not. He talks about the the men of Nineveh and uh, the queen of Sheba, and basically says they repented when they heard Jonah preach, and one greater than Jonah is here. And she came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and someone greater than Solomon is here. So Jesus is automatically talking about the the nations throughout. Matthew's gospel ends with what's called the Great Commission, go into all nations. Jesus' plan from the get-go was actually much, much bigger. And so Jesus, sorry, Matthew wants to provide us with this broad framework, this really broad framework for how to understand Jesus. Because it's easy, I think, to see Jesus kind of drifting along. Healing a person there, healing somebody over here, teaching something over here, then healing somebody, then wandering around to some other place and not really kind of doing too much, it seems. And yet, what Matthew wants us to see from his reflection is that would be to misunderstand Jesus. Because as far as Jesus, sorry, as Matthew is concerned, this is an indicator that Jesus is fulfilling this plan to implement God's vision to change the world. This is how He wants us to understand um, Jesus. And therefore, there are some fairly significant implications for us. Uh, Let me draw out a couple of them for you. I think it's worth returning to something that we've, we've talked about a handful of times over this whole series. And that is that anyone can begin to follow Jesus. Anyone can begin to follow Jesus. Jesus places no conditions of belief or knowledge or behavior on his followers. He doesn't say, do you believe in me? He doesn't ask them uh, a whole bunch of questions about the book of Leviticus. He doesn't uh, demand that they change their lifestyle. He just basically says, are you willing to follow after me? And if they are, then that's enough to begin with. But it also suggests that if Jesus is interested in preserving smoldering wicks and bruised reeds, that there is no one who cannot begin to follow Jesus. You, you might have thought to yourself, you know, I, I don't have a lot of faith in Jesus, and um, I know that my lifestyle isn't perhaps up to scratch, and I don't know a lot about the Bible, but I, I, I guess I can begin to follow Jesus. And there might be others of you who think to yourself, you know what, it's not actually my lack of faith that's my problem. It's my past. My life is so bruised, my hopes are almost extinguished, that there's nothing it seems really that would allow me to come and begin to follow Jesus. It's not a matter of faith or knowledge or behavior, it's just simply my past, my regrets, my mistakes, the things that I've done wrong, the things that have been done to me, the words that have been spoken to me or spoken over me that have either described me or defined me and have left me bruised and smoldering and I can't find myself following after Jesus. Jesus turns no one away. In fact, it seems from Jesus' approach earlier in chapter 11, he says this in verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think that's worth coming back to. I think that's worth coming back to not only for our sakes, that we know that we are enabled and, and, and invited to follow after Jesus, but also because for those of us who have begun to follow Jesus, who have begun to work out what it means to love and follow Him, we have been brought into that same kind of mission. We are called to do the same things that Jesus was called to, we may not teach with the authority of Moses. We may not heal in the power of Elijah, but we are called nonetheless to the task of bringing justice to the nations. That's part of what we are called to. We're not just called to kind of do church. We're not called to just gather together on a Sunday evening and kind of, you yeah, know, isn't this fantastic? No, we're called to participate in something much, much bigger. So when we gather together on a Sunday, it's not actually just about us. It's actually about the mission that God's called us to. It is a little bit of our kind of the pep talk. It's half time. It's that whole, okay, where are we up to? What have we learned? What do we, need to fa- what do we need to face what's out there? How do we encourage one another so that we can actually take that mission into the world? This is part of what we're called to, and I think it's really helpful for us to recognize then that our methodology ought to probably be patterned after Jesus'. You know, we can use um, political channels, we can rewrite policy, we can be engaged in all sorts of ways. I don't think uh, Jesus' methodology necessarily excludes those who are powerful and influential from being involved in bringing justice, but I think it's noteworthy that when Jesus uh, seeks to bring about the uh, justice of God, he does so by serving those most in need of justice. Is that Interesting. He doesn't try to start a bottom-up ministry. He doesn't start a grassroots movement, per se. He actually just serves those who are most in need of justice. I think it's really intriguing. In in chapter 12, verse 16, the only thing that Jesus does after he's healed those who were ill is to warn them not to tell others about him. And and arguments from silence are dangerous. You can't just kind of say, well, he doesn't say it, so I'm just going to put it in there. But it's interesting to me that Jesus, and we don't find this anywhere else in the Gospels, Jesus doesn't say, now that I've healed you, you need to believe in me. He doesn't say to them, now that uh, I have uh, healed you, you need to kind of fix your life. He doesn't say to them, now that I've healed you, you need to kind of figure out who I am. He doesn't do any of that. And while there are obviously implications, I keep talking about it, you know, anyone can follow Jesus, but inevitably there's going to become a crisis point where you have to decide what you're going to do with Jesus and is your life going to change at all. That's, that's coming. But ultimately, you know, when Jesus serves, He does so unconditionally. I think we're called to much the same kind of service. A service that doesn't demand that people believe what we believe, a service that doesn't demand that people convert to following Jesus. A service that doesn't mean that uh, they have to sit through some sort of gospel presentation even, but simply to serve people, to show them the heart of God. That, that is what we're called to. And that has all sorts of challenges for us. But you know what? Can I just say, at this time in history, I think it is the, perhaps the only way forward for the church right now. Most people in our society who are not Christians have chosen not to be Christians for fairly significant reasons. Some some have just drifted away or never been in the church at all. But nearly everyone who's not a part of a church thinks that the church is irrelevant, if not dangerous. Well, you're not going to argue your way out of that, are you? You're not going to argue that. You're not going to say, well, that's not true. I mean, it might not be true, and we might be able to kind of put some arguments forward, but that's not going to change people's lives. That's not going to change people's hearts. But what if we actually just take the posture and say, you know what, I don't really care what you think. I'm just going to serve you. I'm going to serve you because I believe that God wants to bring justice and love and compassion, and He does that for everybody, and I'm not going to set any conditions on you. You don't have to thank me. You don't have to believe what I believe. Just, you don't even have to be nice to me. And we've mentioned this in you know, the kids' hope space. Do you, like, that is such an unbelievable opportunity. You know how people think about Scripture in schools? How how much longer are we going to be able to teach Scripture in school? Not much longer. There are lots of schools that that have leadership who are opposed to it. We have two public schools who are asking the church to provide mentors for children who are in need. What? What a significant opportunity. We're being asked to come in because we're not coming in with an agenda. We're not coming in to proselytize these kids. We're not going to tell them that we're Christians. We're not going to talk about Jesus. We're just going to help them do their homework and give them a a kind of a solid uh, relationship with an adult. That's what we're doing with no conditions. And this is the ministry of Jesus. And this is going to be more and more and more and more the stance that the church is going to have to take in our society in order that people might begin to listen to us again. So these acts of service are really quite significant. And it's service because it's actually God's way. God says, this is my servant, and this is what my servant will do. You know how servants work, even though we don't have servants? you imagine having one? You tell the servant to do the laundry, and the servant does the laundry. You tell the servant, I want dinner at six, and dinner's on at six, right? They are there to do what you want them to do. The servant of the Lord is there to do what the Lord wants him to do. And what does the Lord want him to do? To bring justice by not extinguishing smoldering wicks, by not breaking bruised reeds, by not quarreling or crying out. That is the way of God. So this week, can I encourage you not only to keep your eyes open for what God's doing, for those answers to prayer and those changes in your life, big or small, but also to be aware of those opportunities to serve God to serve without, without condition, because this is what pleases God. And this is in line with what Jesus does and who He is.